0: Hi everyone, Howell here. I'm super excited to be launching the new season of Primarily Context-Based. This season we'll still be talking to tech leaders about questions that don't have a single right answer, but we're also gonna be mixing up our regular two-way conversational format sometimes. And for today's episode, I'm taking on the role of interviewer because I think the story of how Hubble navigated a period of economic pressure and uncertainty is an especially relevant one for tech leaders today as we faced increased costs of living and a recession in the wake of the pandemic. We'll still be releasing our episodes once a month, so subscribe if you'd like to be reminded when they arrive. Hello, and welcome to this episode of Primarily Context-Based. This podcast is a collaboration between CTO Craft and Skiller whale and it was inspired by the q and site Stack Overflow. On Stack Overflow, questions have a single right answer, and questions can be closed and archived because they're primarily opinion-based. Well, we think that the most interesting questions don't have a single right answer. They are primarily context-based. And in this podcast, we take one of those questions, talk about a range of answers and the context that makes them appropriate. I'm Howell Carver, I'm the CEO of Skill A We do individually personalized training through hands-on sessions led by a live expert remotely in one hour chunks. I've been a CTO for the last 10 years. I've run dinners for CTOs for three or four years before the pandemic, and I've been a CTO coach. And what I've discovered is that the same questions come up again and again, but with different answers every time, because context is critical. Today, we're going to be answering the question, how do you survive a downturn? And I'm very excited to be joined by Simon Andrews, who is the head of engineering at Hubble. Simon,
1: hello. Hey, Hal. pleasure to be here. Awesome.
0: I'm so pleased to have you here because I know that this is not, this is not Hubble's first experience with macroeconomic and external events making things harder for the company. Maybe you could quickly tell us what Hubble does, what what the, the idea behind the business is, and how you've been affected in recent years.
1: Sure. So I'll start with what Hubble is now, because what Hubble is now is actually much different than it was before the, let's say, event we're going to be talking about shortly. So Hubble matches companies and their employees with Places to work, whether that's at headquarters, working from home, or really increasingly working anywhere in the world. Um, We specialize in placing companies in sort of a headquarters, which is a longer term home base for your company. Um, Those tend to be longer term leases, sort of going month to month. And more recently, we've also started a product called the Hubble Pass, which enables companies to let their employees really work from anywhere in the world. We've partnered with workspace providers in a number of international cities. And if your company is on our platform, your employees can just book a space and show up the next day on demand. Super easy, super flexible.
0: Very cool. I can definitely see the use case for that. I mean, we're a, we're a fully remote company as well. So this is something that's particularly relevant for us because we don't have office space anywhere. And I get, I get why that would be an amazing thing to offer your team. Can you tell us how that's changed? What did Hubble used to do?
1: So prior to the pandemic, we were focused on what was then known as flexible office space. But before the pandemic, flexibility meant really month-to-month leases. Uh, those were the terms that we were talking about. We were breaking into an industry, which is office space, that had leases that tended to run in years, not months, in some cases decades. And when the likes of WeWork came around. And, you know, everything that came around that, the terms on these leases came right down and we became a marketplace for finding those leases. Of course, once the pandemic hit, getting a large office space for a month suddenly didn't make any sense. Everyone was talking about the death of the office. No one was ever going to go back there. So suddenly our business proposition looked like it was frankly at risk. Mm. So we, we made some changes. Yeah, and that's what I'd
0: love to, love to talk to you about today, because it's looking like the startup and scale up community is facing a difficult patch. And I think your experience at Hubble during the pandemic, when the business you had didn't have as much interest from, from your customers, you must have faced a kind of similarly tough time as a company that some people are going to be facing over the next 12 to 18 months. Yeah. So it would be great to hear about Hubble's response to that. Maybe you can start by talking about your role in that response and how how that's changed over the last few years.
1: Sure. So I think, first of all, I, I hope that no one ever has to go through the severe shock of an, of an earth-shattering pandemic again. I, I hope that that particular response is a one-time thing for us and a one-time thing for everybody. That being said, there's there's definitely some lessons to be learned there. Um, my role at the start of the pandemic, or before the start of the pandemic, was as an engineering manager at Hubble. Um, I had a lot of really, really good people around me. Um, I had a VP of engineering who I reported directly to, and he reported to our CTO. Um... And they really took on the bulk of the team leadership in the early days, as far as tech was concerned, um, as well as our you know, existing leadership outside of the tech organization.
0: Can you talk us through the the timeline then of what was going on in Hubble as as all of this unfolded and how the company
1: responded? Sure. So in March of 2020, the world turned upside down. There's There's no getting around it. Everything changed. And a lot of industries were really, really deeply impacted by that. I'm not going to say that office space as an industry was hit the hardest, but it's it's definitely up there Um, as a company that was specializing in finding people places to work when everybody really worldwide was suddenly told to work from home to stay and shelter in place. It's hard to continue that business model. So we, we quickly began to need to adjust what we were going to do. When did the, the company first
0: realize or decide that they needed to respond to this, that this was something definite that was going to happen? It, it was no longer just a kind of uh, a, th- a commercial threat, but actually it was it was something we needed to do something about.
1: There was no real single moment, I don't think. There was a whole bunch of collective moments that lead into it, really. And I think that's the same story for everybody. For, for example, for me, the moment I realized everything was real was when the NBA shut down. That is not when Hubble realized that everything was going off a cliff, but it's when I personally realized it. I think everybody has their own moments and all of those individual moments really contributed to the company-wide feeling, to the company-wide response. Uh, We had a number of discussions in sort of small groups. There were high-level discussions about what was happening as well. And then eventually, in one of our weekly meetings, we really just faced it up front and said, you know, this is starting to look bad. Our numbers are starting to go down. We're really not doing the same amount of business that we were doing. And it's clear that something has changed. Of course, at that time, no one thought this was going to go on for two years. Um, Mm. We were all talking about how, this is going to be a really tough couple of weeks. And then, I don't know, it's going to be a really tough few months. But then we'll bounce back after that. And I think in the time from sort of, let's say, early March through late March, it started to become really clear that this was was a longer term thing. And then, unfortunately, at the end of March, uh, the vast majority of the company was placed on furlough. Um, We went from being a company that was around 60 people to being a Company of nine people. Um, the remainder, including myself, were placed on the furlough scheme. Got it. And I i mean before we go on, I would just I'd love to hear about your
0: reflections on that as someone who was furloughed. How from that experience, what do you what advice would you give people who who are having to furlough their team? How can we as leaders be sensitive and supportive to people in what is I think a a really difficult situation.
1: I think in a situation like that, you only have one card to play and it's to be completely clear, completely upfront, completely honest. Don't lie. Don't say everything is fine. You know, be as inspirational as you can be as motivated and motivational as you can, but don't dodge the truth. Um, Hubble was in a tough place and we would have been lying to ourselves if we tried to convince ourselves otherwise. But we had reason to be hopeful. We had ideas. We had thousands of ideas for other ways to make this business work. We knew that they weren't going to work in April of 2020. We knew that they probably wouldn't work in May of 2020, but we knew that those ideas were there. And if we could continue on, we'd get a chance to make it work. So the message to us when we went on furlough, was really, it was one of sadness. It was, we wish this didn't have to be the way. But from the people who were remaining, you need to trust us. We're going to do everything we can to keep the lights on to make this work. And we hope to be able to bring you all back in a few months' time and get this thing rolling again. That That's, I think, fantastic advice. The need for for openness
0: and and the need for kind of honesty and trust, because it is an important it is an important relationship that people trust that you're going to be doing the the best for the company. Because it's it's not just being followed now; it's continuing to be followed in for however many months to come. And knowing that this the lights are going to be kept on, and people are still going to be pushing the company forward so that salaries get paid. Um, you talked about the. The March 2020s being when everything happened, and it sounds like that that kind of creeping realization came throughout the month, and then maybe towards the end of it was when that that kind of defining company meeting happened. Was there anything that happened during that month? Was that when those when ideas were being generated? Was there anything that could be done to prepare, or was it really a sort of a, a building up to a sudden thunderclap of like? right, now this thing is real and suddenly we're going to have to change things?
1: Um, I think it was, you know, in hindsight, a lot of what I'm talking about happened in the span of three weeks, but in the moment it felt like forever. I, I think of that time when, you know, you first got told, oh, we're going to try working from home for a couple of weeks. Um, and the time from that to when the company implemented the furlough scheme. I think of that as a pretty significant period in my life, and it was actually about three weeks. Um, During that time, I think we did some of our best work. There was no sense of panic. There was definitely a sense of worry. You can't get past, you know, human emotion. But we didn't panic. We stuck to our values. We stuck to our process. We moved quickly on things. We abbreviated, perhaps, some of our processes, but we didn't ever compromise on them. And we got some quick responses out. For example, a lot of offices were no longer taking viewings because they were on work-from-home orders. So we very quickly started to implement virtual viewings where there might be someone in the office who can walk around with a camera and answer questions and show you an office. And then we started implementing a notify when this building is open again. Future. We didn't have that before because buildings would never shut down, but mm. suddenly we needed that. So we made it happen. Um, all of these things happened in that really, really quick period because we didn't compromise on our values. Mm. Um, I think there's, there's a wider thing about values, and this is perhaps something that you can do to prepare for a downturn at any time is when things are good, write down your values, write down your process. It may feel like a box checking exercise. It may feel unnecessary in the good times, but you're not writing it for the good times. You're writing it for when things go wrong. You're trying to make sure that when everything is going off the rails, you have something that you can refer back to and say, this is how we work. This is what has always worked for us. And there's no need to change that now just because everything seems different. This is what's worked and we should stick to it
0: mm yeah that makes a lot of sense to me that essentially that part of your preparation was just having that that level of of process and documentation that that meant that you had something to kind of something solid that was like a foundation that I, I imagine also helped with people not panicking yeah in in their response so it sounds like in in March there was lots of innovation almost based on the assumption that this was going to be a fairly short crisis for the company. And then things, things changed towards the end of that month. What happened then? How did the company think about the, the kind of actions that were going to be taken? Obviously the the following of employees, presumably to, to cut, cut costs. Um, what else was going on?
1: Um, for a few months, Things were, to be honest, just really, really quiet. The company was down to nine people, and it was very much in maintenance mode. Um, We were in a sort of comedy of timing issues in a fundraising round in March. So everything was already sort of in belt tightening mode. Um, once, Once for a low hit, it really was about keeping a minimum viable team alive. Uh, there was work that continued going on. We still had salespeople, and they actually did do real work during that period. There were still people looking for headquarters. There were people moving around and downsizing once they realized that um, this was going to be a more prolonged thing. Uh, dur- during that two months, there was sort of limited company activity. Um, we did put out a survey um, trying to gauge sentiment from different companies, different people in the market to see where this market was going. Uh, But there just wasn't the resource there to act very much uh, Mm. until the end of the furlough scheme when some of us had the opportunity to come back. And that's when a lot of things started really developing.
0: And that was a couple of months later, did you say? So this is now sort of May or June?
1: Yeah, I think it was... Early July, maybe when we were brought back.
0: Got it. I mean, it's it's a it's a very impressive story to be honest. That you were fundraising at the time when this this whole when the pandemic and the the lockdown really became real. Yeah, um, and that you're still <laughs> the company is still going today. Yeah. Um, so clearly, a lot a lot was done was done right. Um, so you talked about the furlough ending. What happened then? Did everyone come back from furlough or was the team reduced in size? I I know you went from 60 originally-ish down to nine people remaining unfurloughed. What happened
1: next? So unfortunately, we weren't able to bring the entire team back. We did manage to get funding to continue on and more or less get another shot. But we couldn't bring the entire 60-person team back what we did end up with was a 25 person team and about eight of those were in the product and engineering team. So we were much reduced. Um, and you know, that was, that was really, really tough, but it was also incredible that the, like you say, it almost doesn't make sense that the company still exists. The fundraising team deserves a lot of credit for coming up with a completely New narrative in that span of time that could uh, serve a company in the office industry in the depths of the you know greatest crisis in a generation that directly impacted people's utility of offices how was the decision
0: taken to end the furlough and return that that because that must have been a difficult thing to time was that was that based on an assumption that that lockdowns would be finishing? soon?
1: So for full disclosure, I was actually on furlough at that time. Um, I have talked to a number of people who were involved in that decision, but we were very clearly following the intention of the furlough scheme rules. Uh, Nobody who was placed on furlough was expected to do any work. Um, A lot of companies, unfortunately, did not follow that rule. Hubble did. So in my time, I was playing a lot of Animal Crossing and really not making any company-level decisions. But I've spoken to a number of people who were more deeply involved in those decisions. And we started to see indications of where the industry could be going. Um, Like I said, we had been surveying um, employees at companies, players in the industry over that period, uh, trying to gauge sentiment. And as we did, we started to see that the world of office space wasn't going away, it was just about to become much more flexible. Um, And as we got a clearer vision of what that was going to be, it became more obvious what we had to do to make Hubble be a player in that world. I'm not sure that the extent of the pivot was necessarily clear at that point, but we could definitely see that flexibility was going to be at the heart of everyone's future uh, working policies. You know, once... The world of work from home became clear. It it was obvious immediately that some people were never going to go back to the office, that a lot of people were going to be working from home forever. But it was also becoming increasingly clear that that was going to become a standard mode of operation for even more people, but that some people wouldn't be able to work in that world, that some people really do work better when they're collaborating in an office every day of the week, that some people do want to go into the office a couple of days a week, or work in a co-working space that's closer to them, and that's really where Hubble Pass started coming into play.
0: And has it since then has it has it been a more continuous growth story? Does it feel like the company sort of got reset to an earlier point in its growth, and you've sort of been able to continue from there, or have there been more ups
1: and downs along the way? There's definitely been ups and downs. Um, I think the other thing that would have surprised anyone in March of 2020 would be that the pandemic wouldn't be one thing that starts and then disappears, it would be something that starts and then slows and then comes raging back and then you get a dip and then it can come raging back again a week after that. Um, The waves of COVID, particularly in the UK, definitely impacted us. could be seen in sort of people using the product, but we could also see as those waves happened that this idea really had legs, that people needed that flexibility, that the pandemic weather, if you will, is going to determine when people are going to work from the office. And if they're going to be expected to be in a headquarters every single day, that's not going to work in this new world. They're going to need the ability to work from home more one week than they will the next hmm very interesting so uh, am i
0: right in thinking that there there haven't been any more furloughs that that, like it sounds like there was the kind of the one like big we need to kind of get everything get everything ready to prepare for this pandemic and and then when you were sort of ready to return, when you had the new plan, when you had worked out the, the pivot the company was going to make and identified the sort of bigger change that was gonna happen culturally and how you could help people with that change. Um, that was when the sort of team came back, albeit in a reduced form. Yeah. And since then that's been the focus. Yeah, exactly. I would love to dig more into that. You talked about the team being furloughed and then returning in a reduced state. Um, in a reduced size. Can you talk more about any changes to to processes or to the structure of that team when it came back?
1: Yeah, so our team came back, but it came back in a much more reduced capacity. Um, like I mentioned, we were now an eight-person product and engineering team. Um, unfortunately, my boss was one of the people who left the company in that period. Um, so I was suddenly the go-between for the majority of the team and our CTO, Tom, at the time. Um, It had massive implications for the structure of the team. Um, We had been set up as a multi-squad, cross-functional company. Um, And when you have eight people, that doesn't make any sense anymore. You can't really do multiple teams when your entire team, including management, including product managers, is eight people doesn't work. You can't do it. So we had to very quickly figure out new ways of working. Um, Everything I said about, you know, look back on your process, look back on your values in the peak of the downturn when you're still in that shock of it. You do hit a point where you have to look in the mirror and say, you know, do the decisions we made a week ago make sense now? What about the decisions we made a month ago, a year ago? And that's when you can start sort of revisiting some of your process. When you see that sort of things are maybe on the way back up, but something fundamental has changed, you really do want to take a look at everything. So what it looked like for us is we knocked our process right back. We really sort of took the leash off of our engineers in a way. Not that process is a leash, it's usually an enabler, but when it stops being an enabler, you want to get rid of it. Mm
0: -hmm. And when
1: we were a smaller team, it made sense to give everyone much more remit, much more of a wide berth to do what they thought we needed. Um, The team we had responded in kind, and they um, had a lot of really, really good ideas on how to prepare our platform to be maintained long-term. And in that sort of first month or two after we came back from furlough, our focus was actually on, believe it or not, paying down tech debt and reducing the number of services we had. As a smaller team, you know, when we were 25 people maintaining a microservice architecture with, I think we were up over 30 microservices, that was totally possible. We could do that fine. And we could have a higher amount of tech debt. You do always have to pay that down eventually, but we could put it off for a little while. But suddenly when we were a smaller team, we came back and we quickly realized, if this company keeps growing, we're not going to be able to support this. This isn't going to work. We need to fix some of the things that we know are there. So we spent about two months doing that.
0: That's super interesting because the the next question I wanted to ask you was about whether there would be things that you might have invested in, and I wanted I thought it might be an odd question because obviously, that the, the obvious response to me feels like to cut costs and to pull back from things, and so I, I thought I would ask anyway if there are things you were invested in, but it sounds like actually the paying off of tech debt is is probably quite a surprising thing. I certainly I feel surprised hearing that. Um. Was there anything else that you, I mean, I'd love to hear more about the, 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 the kind of reasoning behind that or why that was, why that was possible. Um, and yeah, anything else that where you feel like the company invested more, um, rather than pulling back.
1: Yeah. Um, so it was, and it's not going to be an obvious decision for everybody. It is primarily context-based, but, (laughs) um, in, in our case, it, it made a lot of sense to fix up some of those things. Um, so that was, that was a pretty deep investment we made. Um, but I mean, to be honest, at, at that point, it also wasn't totally clear where the business was necessarily going to go. We knew that there was strategy happening and we were involved in that strategy. Everyone in the team was involved in figuring out the direction of Hubble. But what we were going to build, that wasn't totally clear yet it's almost
0: like that you're in the situation where there was you had a smaller team and so supporting more was going to be harder and supporting these problems was going to be harder. And there was enough uncertainty about the direction that it made sense to invest your time in yourselves to be more nimble so that when there was a direction, you could move faster in that direction.
1: Yeah. And I think one of the key investments we made really was in the people who we had. Um, We did, unfortunately, lose a lot of really, really good people when we had to make the team smaller. Um, a lot of knowledge in the team went out the door with that, and a number of people in our team needed time to retrain, to discover some of what those people had done, to you know get more familiar with how Django works, to <sighs> scale up on the best way to structure React components, things that they didn't have to be quite as skilled up on before now suddenly they were the leaders on it and so you know one of the key investments we had to make was giving them space to learn giving them space to make some mistakes and find the new best practices that will set hubble up going forward mm. i can't emphasize enough the importance of having a really really good team who will respond um well and not sort of panic um, who are interested and curious and willing to step up when someone needs to step up? I, I don't think this would have been even remotely possible without the people who were around me. Um, I get very very little credit, and I deserve very very little credit for what Hubble's done, and particularly for what the Hubble Tech Team has done. I've just been a bystander who's been trying to get out of the way.
0: <laughs> I'm sure you're. I'm sure you're um, being very modest. I, I'm i've been trying to think about the overall pattern of what your the the response as you talk about it and it seems like a lot of a lot of focus on what i would call nimbleness that um the company throughout has been very careful to sort of sense what's going on in their their environment sense what's going on around the company the macroeconomic changes that are happening around you, or the market changes that are happening around you, and responding to them. So early on in those first few weeks, you spotted um, trends in in the way people were using the product and started trying to come up with new features um, onto your existing product that would would work with them. And then at the, the time when um, at, at the time when it became clear that this was a longer term uh, a longer term phenomenon, and that team were going to have to be furloughed then effectively you reduced your costs and you took the time to work out what was what the future would be you took that time to sort of sense what was going to be happening six months down the line the kind of things that um you know i can go and read think pieces about now in the new york times or the economist or whatever you were trying to predict already back then through your your kind of proprietary surveys yeah. and then when you when you returned with your lower costs you were focused on working in the direction that you could see and then as soon as you couldn't see further investing in your own nimbleness paying off that technical debt so as soon as as soon as there was more kind of certainty about what was to come you could go as fast as possible in that direction
1: exactly there is an old business cliche but as a Canadian I get to drop it which is an old Wayne Gretzky quote that everyone's heard a billion times. You skate to where the puck's going, not to where it's been. Um, In our case, we knew that if Hubble was going to succeed, it was going to grow again, that we were going to get more people back onto the platform. Um, Taking a moment to take stock of our tech is the only thing that made sense at that point, because. If Hubble was going to grow again, then everything we had was going to become completely unmanageable for a team of our size. So if we didn't do it then, we'd never get to do it. And if we had to do it later, the timing would be bad. So you kind of end up in a situation where, you know, if you can just see that that's going to happen, there's no point in skirting around it, address it. The people we had had answers they knew a lot of the problems we were going to face so give them space to fix it get out ahead of it before it becomes a bigger problem at a more inconvenient time
0: nice and make sure you're heading to where the puck's going it's I I don't know anything I'm not Canadian you probably guessed I don't know anything about I'm going to say ice hockey but I'm pretty (laughs) sure that's the sport Wayne Gretzky plays I'm pretty sure they use a puck um so I hadn't heard that one before um okay is there, is there a single moment that for you felt like the most, the most challenging or the most critical in that journey?
1: I don't think there really was actually a single moment, if I'm being honest. I think it was a lot of moments. There were ups and there were downs. There were definitely times when you'd wake up in the morning and you'd start reading the news and, you know, there'd been a setback in a vaccine trial or a company had gone under, and you start off that day thinking, well, if that's how it's going to be, how could Hubble possibly succeed? And then there were other moments where, you know, again, with the vaccine, where we had those triumphant worldwide moments of success, and you think, wow, wait, we could actually be back in offices reasonably soon. Not in the same way that we were before, but this is starting to look like there's maybe an end game. Um, the moments in Hubble were all largely tied to sort of worldwide events because we were tethered to the world, as was everybody. So I, I don't know if there was actually any particular moment that I'd highlight as, say, a turning point. What was a turning point for us was the decision to continue existing, which was obviously not an obvious decision. I
0: think that's an excellent note for us to end on. Simon, I want to thank you so much for sharing your experiences. I think there's some really good lessons for other technology leaders in there.
1: Thanks so much, Hal. It's been a pleasure.
0: Join us again next time on Primarily Context-Based when I'll be talking to Mary Williams about growing a culture of empowerment.